On this Discover the Word podcast, we're going to look at something that took place during the crucifixion of Jesus that group member Bill Crowder calls one of the greatest pictures of faith mm. you can find anywhere in the Bible. Now that's a big statement. I mean, you've got Abraham, Moses, Daniel, the Apostle Peter, lots of examples of faith in the Bible. But this one, I think by the end of the week, you'll understand why he says it is one of the greatest pictures of faith that you can find anywhere in the Bible. Be part of this year's Easter Week conversation with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder as we focus on the rebel next to Jesus. Discover the Word with us next. And welcome to a special edition of the Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry as your study partners. And uh, I always look forward to our Easter week programs. This is such an important time of the year. As our friend Haddon Robinson used to say, this is our holiday as followers of Christ. He was never in favor of giving it over to the Easter Bunny and baby chicks. No, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is too important. As Christians, this is, as he said, our holiday. And so in our conversations on this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, we're going to look at the crucifixion through the lens of one of the characters in the story. When Jesus was hung on the cross, there were two other men also crucified, one on each side of him. And one of them is who Bill had in mind when he said that about being one of the greatest pictures of faith in the Bible. Now for this episode, it is Bill and Elisa and Mart who are at the table. So let's begin this conversation about the rebel next to Jesus and the picture he paints of what it looks like to have faith in our Lord Jesus. We deal a lot with words, and sometimes defining words can be helpful, but sometimes it can be a little stiff. We can get all in our heads. Yeah, yeah. it can turn intellectual, right? Right. So instead of defining the word faith, which we've done on the program before, let's think about how would we paint a word picture of faith and what it looks like in life. Mm. What would be a word picture of faith? What comes to mind is I see a young man walking a bulldog down the sidewalk, and I'm walking along with my little child, and my son pulls back, and the guy said, it's okay, he won't hurt you, come over. No. <laughs> and then watching my son try to reach out his hand, but being afraid, but then Okay, he's either going to believe or not believe the person holding the bulldog, right? That's so a powerful yeah. illustration. Yeah. So in some way, you're seeing faith as kind of a counterpoint to fear. Yeah. Because you're trusting in something instead of turning away from There's it. There's reason not to yeah. Yeah, yeah. believe yeah. as well as... That's a good illustration. It's so concrete, Mart. I went immediately to a situation where I was flying across the world to speak, and I had left my husband at home. And when I landed, it was a long flight, like an 18-hour flight. I had trusted or had faith that everything would be fine with him. But when I landed in another country, I received the message that he was in ICU. And then I had the choice to make of what was I going to do to get back to him. And I had to fly back another 18 hours. So on the way to this country, I had faith that everything was fine because I didn't know any better. Hmm. But returning, I had to have faith that he was in the best care possible for the next 
18 hours. So it was a kind of a different experience of faith, and he mm-hmm. did turn out to be okay. okay. So that was a different kind of exercising the same muscle. You've got to be able to rest or trust something you've got to your mind, right? Right. Yeah. I couldn't just fake it. Yeah. It's too long of a period of time. My other option was fear yeah. or freak anxiety. out, right? Yeah. Anxiety. I remember years ago hearing a story. It was told by a Christian psychologist, and they were talking about the wrong way to parent, if you will. But they told the story of this dad with a young son, like three, three or four years old. And he puts him up on a wall and he says, jump, I'll catch you. And the kid jumps because he trusts his father. Yeah. And he pulls his arm back and the kid smacks to the ground and he scrapes his knee and he cries and what everything. What kind of father and is that? And he puts him up on the wall again and says, okay, this time I promise I'll catch you. This time I promise I'll catch you. And the kid jumps and he pulls his arm back and he lands again and he said, you need to learn that you can't trust anybody. Oh my goodness. And that is yeah. the counterpoint to what you guys are talking about because we live in a world yeah. where we're kind of conditioned to not trust. You're right. Think how many people have gone through horrible circumstances mm-hmm. and you're right. They've when learned. Nobody caught them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want us to see a picture of faith this week out of the scriptures. And I want us to see this picture. This is the week leading up to Good Friday where we remember the cross and what our Lord suffered. And of course, that's the place where as followers of Jesus, we have put our faith in him and what he did on our behalf. But I think within the events of the cross, there's one of the greatest pictures of faith Mm. you can find anywhere in the Bible. Now, there are great pictures of faith in the Bible, aren't there? What would be some marvelous pictures of faith? Whenever you have people walking through water that's divided, you know, there's... <laughs> Standing up on sheets on each you know, side of them. Whether yeah. it's the Red Sea, a whole nation walking through, or that same nation coming through the Jordan River at mm-hmm. springtime during flooding, mm-hmm. and the water's part, and you got to walk through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we always give Peter a lot of grief because he took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink, and we forget that there was a period of time where he walked on the water. Mm-hmm. So whether walking through the water or walking on, on the water, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. And there are myriad of examples in the New Testament, especially mm-hmm. in the Gospels, of lepers believing that Jesus could heal them mm-hmm. or friends believing that Jesus could heal their friend mm-hmm. as they lowered him through a roof or a centurion who came to Jesus and said, just say the word and my ill servant at home will be healed. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful yeah. examples of faith. Yeah, All of those are great, but I think there's one because of the nature of the circumstances in which it happens, that really stands alone, that I think we can learn from. What have you got? I want us to look at Luke chapter 23, and I want us to think about the thief on the cross. Now, for many of us at this time of year, that title, Thief on the Cross, is something that we're in tune to. But I want us to take a slower, Hmm. more patient look at that event this week. And we want to look at Luke 23. And let's just start off by reading verses 39 through 43 and get this whole episode together. So let's just read around the table and get those verses. Okay, so we're coming right into the middle of the crucifixion, right? Exactly. Yes. Two thieves and Jesus in the middle. All right. Crowd below, soldiers gambling for Jesus' clothes, all that. Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, 
Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, this is so familiar. I'm afraid sometimes we're inoculated against the wonder of what's taking place here. But before we can really start looking at the thief who will express faith in Jesus, I want us to spend a day looking at the other thief. You may be familiar with the expression, the same sun that melts ice hardens clay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like to suggest to you that suffering is similar. Mm. The same suffering that might soften one person's heart Mm. hardens another person's Mm -hmm. heart. It does, I've seen that. So read again verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Okay. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Why would he say those words? Where's well, he getting Well, in verse 38, them? which precedes this, we're told that there was a written notice above mm-hmm. Jesus, which read, this is the king of the Jews. That is evidence of some of the information that he's receiving. But we also know that the religious leaders in the crowd are saying very similar things to Jesus, aren't they? But they're not saying it in an expectant way. Mm -hmm. How are they saying it? It's in a mocking way. Yeah. Even to justify their own call for his death. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you have this thief who sees the sign over Jesus' head, perhaps, who hears the crowd down below. In verse 35, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Yeah. It's hard for me to understand why he's resonating, why he's expressing the crowd's thoughts Mm -hmm. when the crowd is part of that group that is crucifying him. And that's what I wanted to get to, Mark. That's so good. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's important for us to try to understand where this thief is so that then we can take a look at the other thief starting tomorrow. What is going on with this thief that the son of suffering is hardening his heart while it's softening the other. What's going on here? What might contribute to that? Is this a defense? He can't own his own kind of a self-righteousness, you know, that I'm not really guilty and you should die. And not really a focus on his own error, but a focus on Jesus' apparent error. You know how when we are wrong, we can either own it, and that's something of what you're saying, Bill, we can either own it or we can scapegoat it, scapegoat it, project it onto somebody else. It's like, he's the really bad guy here. But it also goes back to that whole thing of self-righteousness. You know, we look at everybody else and point fingers. He still was guilty, Mm -hmm. apparently, of being a thief. And his partner on the far cross affirms that we deserve this. He doesn't. So here you have this one thief and Don't we see this sometimes, that there are people who will come through similar kinds of situations and one person finds himself being drawn to God in the midst of that struggle and the other feels Mm -hmm. himself being driven away? Right. I wonder if that's not what's happening here. Mm -hmm. The same son, in this case, the son of suffering, is going to be softening the heart of the other thief, but hardening this guy's heart. So when you're saying son of suffering, are you meaning S-U-N? Yes. Okay, so the same son of suffering, just the circumstances can either harden us or draw us to our need for help. Yeah. I think this can be kind of a cautionary tale Mm. for us, you know, because suffering and the sun, like the natural sun hardens clay or melts ice. When we go through those times of suffering, it can either drive us away from God to try to rely on our own resources or to harden our hearts against God or those around us, or It can draw us to him, to trust him, and to put our faith in him that he can be our help in this time of trouble. 
we make that choice, just like these two thieves as they hang on the crosses beside Jesus. Yeah, that was a memorable part of this conversation, wasn't it? I think that phrase and how it relates to this story and so much of life will stick with me. The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. And uh, actually, we're going to pick up right there with that saying when Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder continue our series about the rebel next to Jesus. Yesterday, we talked about this idea that the same sun that hardens clay melts ice. We're talking about the sun in the sky. The sun in the sky, yeah. yeah. And there are a lot of areas in the natural realm where you have a cause that might have different effects, right? Mm -hmm. You see a policeman coming and it could either make you run or say, depending (laughs) what you're doing, right? Yeah, that's good. (laughs) So sometimes it can have almost a warning effect. Sometimes it can have a terrifying effect. Sometimes it can have a confident effect. So the same stimulus can produce a lot of different reactions. Mm -hmm. We started talking about that yesterday in relationship to the two thieves who were crucified next to Jesus, didn't we? And what did we see? Well, one of them was belligerent, mocking, angry mm-hmm. of, you know, if you're the Messiah, similar words to the mm-hmm. crowd, then get down off the cross and take mm-hmm. me with you. Yeah. The other one said, remember me. Yeah. Yeah. We see one of the criminals and we see what we usually refer to as the dying thief or the thief on the cross or something like that. Church tradition gives these guys names. Really? We think of them as Guy on the right and guy yeah, on the left. The guy on the right. Mm-hmm. According to church tradition, these two thieves who were believed to be followers of Barabbas, the revolutionary that Jesus had been exchanged for in a sense, the one who ended up repenting and was hanging on Jesus's right was named Demas, and the unrepentant thief hanging on Jesus's left was named Justus. Now, that doesn't really mean anything, but it reminds us of their humanity. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Bill, remind us, how do we know they were thieves and crucified for Well, the different gospel accounts that record these events describe them variously as thieves, criminals, or in some ways, insurrectionists. Because that would make a little bit more sense with Barabbas. Right. If Mm -hmm. they were revolutionaries, too. Also, describing them as thieves would still work if they were insurrectionists because one of the things that they did was they were constantly attacking Romans because they were more likely to have money than the average poor person walking down the street. And so that was part of their assault on Rome was by assaulting Roman soldiers or different representatives of the Roman government. And in those days, crucifixion was a form of torture chosen to remind you, you don't mess with the state, That's right? right. You don't mess with Rome. Rome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we talk sometimes about the uh, different parties religious parties within Israel, and those would include... Sadducees, Pharisees. Pharisees, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Essenes. Mm -hmm. The Zealots. Mm -hmm. The Zealots were a quasi-religious party. They were kind of a military religious group who were religious patriots who wanted to overthrow Roman oppression. Jesus had one as one of his disciples, Simon Zealotes, or Simon the Zealot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Jesus is fully aware of Mm -hmm. all these different groups. Mm -hmm. What do you think would have been the general thinking in the community that Jesus has in his disciples, a tax collector and a zealot? (laughs) Yeah. There must have been some interesting discussions in that. Well, and he seemed to be a bit of a revolutional person as well. And, you know, so 
I'm sure the question is, was he a zealot? And that's the question, isn't it? Whether or not Jesus, as claiming to be king, mm-hmm. or thought mm-hmm. to be king, mm-hmm. wasn't in effect threatening... Rome. Yeah, Rome. Mm-hmm. A revolution. And it must have been because in the moments leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, when the people are confronted with the reality that Jesus claims to be the king of the Jews, they declare, we have no king but Caesar. And what they're saying is, we don't want a problem here. We'll get rid of him. Yeah. So Jesus, and you remind us yesterday, Elisa, that there was a sign over his head declaring him to be whom? King of the Jews. The king of the Jews. <laughs> so you have the king of the Jews, and you have these zealots, and you have the concern of the priests as to what's going to happen if all of this really grows. So let's go back into the story with all that giving us some background. And let's once again read verses 39 through 43 of Luke 23. And Elise, you want to start off this time? One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, so verse 39 is where we spent our time yesterday. And I'll just read it in my translation. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him and saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. With that in our mind, go to Mark 15 and let's read Verses 29 to 32. Mark, you want to start us? The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross now that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Now we're seeing some themes, Mm -hmm. aren't we? We're seeing the theme of the King of Israel, the King of the Jews. We're seeing the theme of he saved others, let him save himself. I mean, those are the threads that are running through, whether it's coming from the crowd or the religious leaders or the thief, Justice, (laughs) if we buy into those names. But here, what was that last phrase yeah, that you read? Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. That seems like both of them did. Here's at one where point. timing and chronology are okay. so important as we look at the story. It seems like early in the crucifixion event, both of the criminals are equally joining in. Along with the crowd. Along with the crowd and along with the religious leaders. And it says even the passers-by. I mean, what does that speak to about the hardness of that heart? It's hard. It's interesting, too, in Mark, where you've led us, Bill, verse 25 seems to then position Mm -hmm. this description at the beginning. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. Mm -hmm. The written notice of the charge read, the king of the Jews, Mm -hmm. they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. And then verse 29, those who passed by Mm -hmm. hurled insults. And I wonder if Luke's account where the one turns is maybe a little bit later in the process. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. And the question that I want us to wrestle with, why the change? Mm-hmm. What happened? What took him from being one of those who was singing in the choir of mm-hmm. insult, all of a sudden now starts singing a solo mm-hmm. of faith? Mm-hmm. What I'm really wanting to get at is, why did this guy change his mind? Do we know? I mean, is there any way of knowing? What I would suggest to you is that 
as he and his compatriot are experiencing crucifixion and they're going to the darkness of their hearts to insult, to mock, to make fun of, they're kind of lining up with the crowd. They're hearing very different words from Jesus. Jesus is not hurling insults at the people who crucified him. He's offering words of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. While they're talking about, well, why don't you save yourself and us with you? Jesus is concerned about rescuing his mom, mm-hmm. who's standing at the foot of the cross with John. There's a very different heart that's in play with Jesus than with either of these thieves. And while one seems to be resisting the evidence of that heart, the other, again, his heart's being softened. We don't know why. Why one would be softened and the other would be hardened. But we know that one is being softened. Uh-huh. He's hearing the words of Jesus, and it's turning him from insult to belief. I'm with you. I agree. But he's also experiencing pain, mm-hmm. torturous, indescribable pain. Mm-hmm. And pain has a way of breaking into us, into our need. I mean, there's no way if he's going through what we are told Jesus went through, is he tries to raise his arms up on the nails that hold his hands and extend his diaphragm to get one more breath. And he watches Jesus do that. And we know Jesus suffered. But, you know, the torture that he experienced, we have to eventually come to the end of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But why would point. it break one and not the other? I yeah. don't know. But we have a, I mean, an experience could, of it. Yeah, and you've got a lifetime of memories that could play into mm-hmm. it. You've got mm-hmm. the Spirit of God, we know a lot of times. We know that the Spirit of God changes hearts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard to understand. We know that this. to some extent we've been given a will. Mm-hmm. There is such mystery mm-hmm. involved here. But here's what we know. Something about the experience of suffering in the presence of Jesus has drawn this one thief to a very different place than the other one is. Here we see the contrast of the heart that is suffering and anguished and is absolutely defiant in the face of it. And we see this other heart suffering in agony. And he hears words like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And maybe he thinks, I wonder if that includes me. And he turns to Jesus. Yeah, because it's never too late to turn to Jesus, to have our hearts softened and not hardened. Well, this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we will continue to explore further this incident Bill has been calling one of the greatest examples of faith recorded in the Bible, the rebel next to Jesus. After this pause to tell you about another Easter resource from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Easter is coming up in just a few days, and it's a special time to reflect on what God accomplished on the cross and what it means to our lives today. And so to help you in your observance of Easter this year, I want to encourage you to check out an Easter reading plan from Our Daily Bread called The Promise of Forgiveness. It's a reading plan to focus your mind and heart on remembering what Jesus accomplished on the cross and celebrating the fact that He is risen. The special 10-day Easter reading plan is a collection of 10 Our Daily Bread articles that contain passages of Scripture to read and then compelling personal stories, inspiring quotes, and reflection questions that highlight the forgiveness and reconciliation made possible by the sacrifice of Christ. Read it for yourself or read it with your spouse or your family. 
And if you feel like it's too late for you to start, well, it is not. You can easily catch up. These devotionals are still just as meaningful if you double up some days or even read it in the days following Easter as well. Start the Promise of Forgiveness Easter reading plan from Our Daily Bread today when you visit this special website, go.odb.org slash Easter 23. Here it is again, go.odb.org slash Easter 23. And now back to our study about the rubble next to Jesus. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say something about the fact that there were two men crucified at the same time as Jesus and that they hurled insults at him like the rest of the crowd. But Luke records in his account that something changed for one of them, and he turns from mocking to expressing faith. And so now we're going to begin in earnest testing that idea that Bill has that this is one of the greatest expressions of faith found anywhere in Scripture. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking this through with them, so let's listen. We started on Monday painting some different word pictures of faith and what it can look like. And then we talked about some incidents in the Bible where we see people expressing faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I made this audacious claim <laughs> that the person we're going to look at this week, the thief on the cross, may be the greatest expression of faith in the scriptures. Today we come to that. Today I have to back up that claim. Okay, because I'm not in yet. <laughs> really, I, I'm honest. I know. I mean, Jesus said the faith of the centurion was the greatest he'd ever seen in all of Israel. Yeah, but that was before this. I know. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. So like now this is topped it? Yeah. Okay. But I think as we look at it today, I want to see if we can test that idea. But I want you guys to test it with me. Let's see if there's anything. I figure it's going to be important no matter what degree it's true or not. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think to some degree we'll all agree that yeah. this is an extraordinary expression of faith. We might disagree on whether it's the greatest in the yeah. scriptures, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. It's worth thinking about. So let's go back to Luke 23. And as we're turning to Luke 23, and as our friends at the table are joining us there, remind our friends where we've been so far this week in the story of Jesus' crucifixion. We've actually sprung ourselves right into the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and on his right and left are two other men hanging on crosses, supposedly for being called thieves, but they were in line with Barabbas, who was a revolutionary and uh, they were being crucified. Barabbas was supposed to be, but the people released him and put Jesus there yeah. instead. And together with the crowd mm-hmm. and the religious leaders, both of them were mocking Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and saying, even the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And if you're the king of the Jews, if you're the Messiah, then save yourself. And us. And us. And then we saw from Luke's account that while one of those two criminals crucified with Jesus maintains his defiant tone... The other one softens Mm -hmm. in the experience of suffering, in that episode of suffering. And that's what Luke gives us. So let's read again Luke 23, verses 39 through 43, and um, we'll see that expression of faith that we're talking about. Okay, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he asked, since you're under the same sentence? 
we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Where I want us to focus today is in verses 41 and 42. And I want us to see the two sides of this coin. The one side of the coin is this criminal owning his wrongdoings, because that's part of it, you know. And the other part of it is him turning to Jesus Mm -hmm. in faith. So what's so significant about the owning his wrongdoings part that we see in verse 41? Why does that matter so much? Well, I'm actually stuck right now, Bill, on verse 40. His question, don't you fear God? Okay. You know, we've been talking about what turned this one criminal towards Jesus. And maybe he fears God. Maybe he always has. And he didn't understand what was in front of him. You kind of do this recollection of, I'm going to meet my maker this moment, Mm -hmm. and I fear him. And then he looks at what he's done, what Mm -hmm. he deserves. It's interesting that he would admit that he deserves to die, because you would think that if he had a case against the state, against Rome, and he was a part of a revolution, they're the ones that deserve to die, not me. So there's a crossroads in his Mm -hmm. own life and experience. And so here you have this man who is verbalizing to an audience. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Remember who all's there. Mm -hmm. This whole crowd is there. And for a while, he's right in line with them. He's marching in step with them in their response to Jesus. And now, I think you're right, Elisa, to take us back to verse 40. This whole idea of fearing God Mm -hmm. as a starting point, we assume that these two insurrectionists are Jewish men. We assume as Jewish men that they would have come up through synagogue and through Sabbath school, and they would have been taught and trained in the Old Testament. And the beginning of wisdom is yeah, the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. The fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And now, as you rightly say, Mark, in the moment of death, he's saying, I'm not ready. Hmm. But isn't it interesting that when it comes to seeking relief, he doesn't lift his eyes to the heavens mm-hmm. and cry out to Jehovah of Israel. He turns to the man on the middle cross. And this is why I think it's such an overwhelming expression of faith. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jesus calls him by name. Mm -hmm. Remember me. When? Now, how can somebody dying on the cross have a when? Yeah, Mm -hmm. especially when Mm -hmm. the person you're speaking to, the whole issue is whether or not he is the long-awaited Messiah, the king, the conqueror, the, the overcomer the one who was going to deliver Israel. And nobody ever imagined that that king would end up like this. That's right. And the contrast of Barabbas as a revolutionary, these two criminals as part of that revolution, there is something dramatic happening, don't you fear God? We're being punished. This man has done nothing wrong. And all of a sudden, it's like, I believe in your revolution, and it's not of this world. It's different. There is a real reorientation. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I'm starting to get on board here because Mm -hmm. if Jesus had already risen from the dead, then it'd be one thing. But in the moment of crucifixion, even in spite of all of the miracles, the miraculous things that he had done, Mm -hmm. for them to believe that the Messiah, in the moment of crucifixion, was the one to whom you'd say, remember me. His disciples didn't believe this. That's right. They no. were still scratching their heads going, they this were in is the, dark. the end of everything. And it took them three more days and a couple of visits to get on mm-hmm. board with, this is the real deal. This is what he was talking about. Even though he told them, 
What many kind times. of faith does it take for a man dying on a cross to say to another man dying on a cross, yeah. I believe that with you, <laughs> yeah. there's a win. Right. And when you think about it, yeah. the challenge here goes on for months and years afterwards because the whole issue as the story of Christ spread throughout the empire and throughout the region was, could anybody believe that Jesus who was crucified, because his resurrection was up in the air mm-hmm. as far as the public was concerned. Mm-hmm. What they knew for a fact mm-hmm. is that somebody who claimed to be or who was believed to be the long-awaited Messiah had been crucified under the heel of Rome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. It is absolutely the opposite of what they expected. And that's why only after the fact, looking back at the Old Testament scriptures through the lens of mm-hmm. the cross and the empty tomb, did things start to fall into place and make sense? Yeah. I mean, how many times, even in John's gospel, would you say, they didn't really understand this until after Jesus was right. risen. Right, right. You know, right. Israel always had Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. but nobody really understood what Isaiah 53 no. meant until after the cross. And right. well after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so for this thief on the cross to look at another person dying on a cross and say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I want to keep the kingdom part for tomorrow. But to remember me when you do anything (laughs) Mm -hmm. is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I think the other thief is being pretty realistic. Yeah, if you're the Messiah, then save yourself and us. Prove it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now's the time. Everybody's saying, well, you're supposed to be this, you know, and there are echoes of the triumphal entry here. Yeah. Here's the son of David. Mm -hmm. Here's the king of Israel. Hosanna to the highest. It's so contrasting because in verse 40, this criminal, for him, Jesus has proved it. On the one hand, he hasn't proved it. The criminal is asking for evidence. On the other hand, this criminal who believes has had all the proof he needs. And it's been the proof of Jesus' suffering, the proof of his words and his prayers, the proof of something of his righteousness in contrast to his own guilt. Exactly. So as you look at the man on the middle cross, and as you look at the men on the other two crosses, what you're seeing is a portrait of humanity. Mm. In the middle cross, you're seeing humanity at its very worst and what it can do at its very worst in what we did to Jesus. And on the one side, you see the one who's applauding that. And in the other, you see the one who's grieving it because he has come to faith in the man on the middle cross. Grieving it and putting his hope in it. That's right. Mm -hmm. We'll talk more about that hope tomorrow. You ever play word association? Yes. Okay, for our friends that maybe you're saying, what? Mm -hmm. Uh, What's a word association? Go ahead, Martin. Yeah. Cold. Hot. Tall. Short. You know, it's also used by psychologists in yeah. counseling, right? I mean, I would think you would have picked up on that. Well, and we went straight to opposites, you and I, instead of similars. And you okay. can go either direction. Yeah. But yeah. if I went to opposites, I would say I'm a little bit of a rebel okay. against you in that. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you would have said cold to me, I would have said ice cream. Okay. And, so, and the game allows for that. Yeah. yeah. But it is revealing. Now let's play a little word oh, association. How much time do we have? <laughs> we just did. Let's okay. <laughs> uh, kingdom. Jesus. UK. UK. Yeah. Okay. See, Mart took us to the spiritual kingdom, which is really what we've been 
edging towards all week long in Luke chapter 23. I got ahead of us, didn't I? No, 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 you didn't because... You took us where we needed to go, Mart. But I think it's so interesting because to me, if somebody asked me the word kingdom and it wasn't in the context of being in the studio doing Discover the Word, Mm -hmm. my mind would have gone to crowns Mm -hmm. and thrones because we think about the trappings Right. That surround kingdom. But by going to Jesus, you've really taken us to the right place because the word for kingdom in the Greek, basileia, doesn't necessarily speak institutionally. The idea of the word basileia is rule or reign. Right. I was thinking of reign. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, when you said kingdom, the other word that came into my mind, besides thinking about Great Britain, was mine versus someone else's. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's a stretch, I would think, but I see exactly what you mean. The Mm -hmm. things that are under our control, right? Under our influence. Yes. Yeah. That's really a helpful conversation to get to where we want to go today, especially that last piece (laughs) about mine versus somebody else's. But with the idea of kingdom and the idea of reign, Mm -hmm. of rule. Imperial. I mean, it's... Yeah. Majesty. Yeah. And how that interfaces with how we think about Jesus. Let's go back again to Luke 23. And once again, read verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there, this is on the cross on either side of Jesus, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, this criminal, an insurrectionist, it's interesting. We had an off-mic conversation. Elise and I were going back and forth in our two translations. She was using the NIV and I was using the New American Standard. And every place that my translation said robber, hers said rebel. Rebel. And so I was asking, you know, why have we commonly called Mm -hmm. these people the thieves on Mm -hmm. the cross? And then we checked the lexicon Mm -hmm. and found that the original word is very broad. It's like a bad person, an Uh evildoer. Yeah, Yeah. which would fit a rebel or a robber in some ways. Mm -hmm. It'd have a lot of breadth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think we just bring that to the table to remind us that words have breadth of meaning. Mm -hmm. And we need to be very careful when we get overly dogmatic. Well, this word means this. Well, this word sometimes means this, but other times it might mean this other shading or nuance of an idea. So if somebody says, okay, so why in the world do we come up with either thief or a rebel Mm -hmm. when it comes to the cross narrative? And when it comes to the cross narrative, both of those are options when we have this particular word. But both of them are also not the whole picture. And there are traditions that point these two men back as cohorts with Barabbas. And Barabbas was an insurrectionist, but history tells us that one of the ways insurrectionists insurrected was by attacking, stealing, robbing from the Roman government and their representatives that they were trying to overthrow. And that was the most common reason for crucifixion, wasn't mm-hmm. it? A challenge to the state. A challenge to, the power to Rome. Of... It wasn't a pickpocket kind of no. light sentence for a light crime. No. So, you know, we have this word that could be robbers, it could be rebels, it could be malefactors, as some older translations put it. The word basileia, kingdom. Mm-hmm. It can be rule. It can be reign. It can be authority. It can be kingdom. Here, 
our translations, I think all three translate his words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. kingdom. Yeah. Kingdom. Now, I want us to really think hard about this idea of kingdom in the context of what we've been talking about all week. And the context begins with how did the religious leaders get Rome to crucify Jesus? They presented him as a threat to Rome. And why would he be seen as a threat? Uh, claiming to be the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. The king of the Jews. Another king. Yeah. You go back to Matthew chapter 2 and you see deaths taking place mm-hmm. in the children in Bethlehem and its surrounding regions because of the supposed arrival of the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is a big idea. Herod, who killed the babies around Bethlehem, was a Roman appointee. <laughs> so there's also this idea of what you said earlier, mine. Uh-huh. This is my rule. Nobody's going to threaten my little kingdom, mm-hmm. my authority, my reign. Nobody's going to threaten me. Anybody who does is a rebel. Then you come forward and you see all the unsettledness in the religious establishment because they're hearing people calling Jesus the son of David. Mm-hmm. And what's that mean again? That's Messiah. That's messianic. That's messianic. Purpose. Mm-hmm. And the messianic hope of Israel was that there was going to be a king who was going to rescue them from the oppression of Rome. So now we're mm-hmm. starting to see mm-hmm. some pieces fit together mm-hmm. on this. And when Jesus is crucified, you reminded us earlier in the week, Elisa, what was the sign they put over his head? Oh, king of the Jews, Messiah, king of the Jews. He was mocking. Pilate wrote it, and the religious leaders didn't want it to go up there. They say, no, say he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the foot of the cross, because what are the religious leaders at the foot of the cross saying? Oh, they're mocking him. And if you're really the Messiah and the king of the Jews, get yourself down. Yeah. So we see this continuous thread of whether or not Jesus is the legitimate king. Another word for saying Messiah. Another word for saying Messiah. We have these two thieves crucified on either side of him, and they are crucified for wanting to overthrow the reign, rule, authority of Rome. So in a way, Pilate would have seen these three as the same. The religious leaders might not have, because only Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. But they were afraid that the Roman authorities would step in if all of a Mm -hmm. sudden there was this messianic movement within Israel. And what's happening is these two rebels, insurrectionists, they were basically doing what Jesus is being accused of, but through different method. They were trying to bring down the authority of Rome, and Jesus is being depicted as somebody who is a threat to the authority of Rome. But he was a threat preaching a message of love and grace and hope and restoration. These guys were doing it through violence. Mm -hmm. So where are we going with this today? Where we're going with this is the statement of this revolutionary Mm -hmm. who says, remember me, When you come into your kingdom. So he shifts his kingdom allegiance from a literal earthly kingdom that he's a part of trying to establish with Barabbas and the insurrectionists. He shifts that. And at this point, it's almost like he's saying, okay, I'm in. Mm -hmm. I want in. And that is where we see hope in this episode. Because he, dying on a cross, sees in that man future hope. And it's not in the reestablishment of the kingdom of Israel on the earth per se. 
is through the kingdom rule and reign of this son of David, the true Messiah on the middle cross. And that's revolutionary. There's so many ways in which, and I think we've all known them, and we can't say for ourselves we're not there, but death is the true converter. And it's hard not to give up on people we love. But really, as we look at the contrast between this kingdom, mine, and a beyond us kingdom, there comes a real choice of allegiance. Yeah. I think it's beautiful that Jesus embraces him as he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even uses the word paradise mm-hmm. in the moment of crucifixion. And that is such a rich idea. The thief slash robber slash insurrectionist slash rebel. <laughs> <laughs> slash criminal. <laughs> slash criminal. Slash you and me. Yeah, slash us. Mm-hmm. Looks forward anticipating kingdom. Tomorrow we're going to see Jesus' response as he talks about paradise. Yeah, that was another great part of this conversation and uh, looking forward to wrapping this up with one more segment in which we'll discover what that paradise comment was about in the conclusion of our Easter week series this year called The Rebel Next to Jesus. Now here at Discover the Word, we believe the most important decision you can make is the decision to be part of God's kingdom. And so it's our mission to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to all. And so if you're growing because of your time at the table with us on Discover the Word, would you help someone else to grow in much the same way? A donation to Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries partners you with us in reaching millions around the world with the story of Jesus. And so if you'd like to support us, simply look for the Donate button when you go online to our discovertheword.org website. That's discovertheword.org. And now, here's the conclusion of this study about the rebel next to Jesus. Did you ever, maybe I should ask it this way, were you ever forced to read Paradise Lost? No. (laughs) Is that Milton? Yeah. I was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe just a section of it, but not the whole. It's an epic poem, right? It's an epic poem. And it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this. You You have to get into a rhythm of that kind of writing, just like you do with Shakespeare, or like you do if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with the King James language of these and thous, you know, it's a rhythm to understand mm-hmm. it. Just to put this into some mm-hmm. perspective of what an achievement it was that you had to read it. <laughs> the first version published in 1667 consisted of 10 books and over 10,000 lines of verse. Oh, I didn't read the whole thing then. <laughs> I, I must have read. The Cliff's Notes? Uh, well, something that might be. Yeah, see, that's what I recall read. now, okay. just an excerpt or okay. something is short. <laughs> okay, yeah. take it back, take it back. So what is Paradise Lost? It's a parallel to the scriptures, isn't it? Genesis? Mm -hmm. It's about the fall, the temptation, the expulsion from the Garden of Eden, all of those things. And it's that expulsion from the Garden of Eden that's captured in the title Paradise. Lost. Lost. Mm -hmm. And pardon the pun, but that sense of loss is dark and weighty throughout this poem, Paradise Lost. You feel the sense of despair of what has been taken away or sacrificed or lost. So Paradise Lost is kind of dark. Would you agree with that? Well, it is. And we probably derive our coinage of lost itself. And the label for us, when we aren't in a relationship with God through Jesus, we call us lost. Mm -hmm. You know, we lost paradise, but we lost a relationship, a connection, a closeness to God. To the creator. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and Jesus used the expression, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so there's this lostness that's aimless, wandering, drifting away from God like the lost sheep. Mm -hmm. And then there's the lostness that's a deliberate kind of lostness. I'm lost and I'm hiding and I'm resistant. But when things go physically or historically backward or sideways, we know that something's messed up, but we don't necessarily immediately say it's because we've lost a relationship with our creator. You know, it's like, that's kind of like the missing piece sometimes. It is often. Yeah. And oftentimes, even in human experience on a normal level, without all the spiritual and theological implications we're talking about, but usually when things go sideways in life, there's relational impact there. Yeah. And that we get. Yeah. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that in the loss of paradise, there's impact on relationship as well, because that's so much a part of it. Okay. So having talked about the gravity and the weightiness of paradise lost, today we're going to conclude our conversations in Luke 23 by paradise found. So we're going to go to the other end of the story that Milton started telling in paradise lost and that the scriptures start telling us in Genesis. But we know that Genesis is not disjointed from Luke, is it, Martin? No, because you sense that the story, you're getting echoes of what happened mm-hmm. in the paradise of Genesis. That's is that what right. you're saying, right? Yeah. The Bible is this story of the paradise that was lost being rediscovered in Jesus. That, mm-hmm. in a nutshell, is the story of the Bible, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Somebody said you could outline the Bible in three points. Life in paradise, life outside paradise, and life back in paradise. (laughs) Because that is really what the Bible is taking us through. We lost through our first parents' sin. We lost relationship with God. We lost paradise. One day through Jesus, all that will be recovered. And that big story of the Bible we see manifested in one life, Mm. the life that we've been looking at this week in Luke 23. So let's go back And for a final time this week, let's read verses 39 through 43. And today, for the first time this week, we're going to hear Jesus speak. And that's really important. Okay, one of the criminals hanging beside him, beside Jesus, scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay. Now I want us to hear Jesus' words. What's so interesting is that in the first half of the cross, until Jesus says, I thirst, and then my God, my God, you know, the quote from Psalm 22. Up until that, Jesus speaks three times on the cross. All three times, it's to people there. And all three times, his comments are filled with compassion. Well, I remember his comment to John about, will you take care of my mother? Yeah. You know, this is yeah. your mother. But I've never thought about the fact that all of them were yeah. compassionate. Yeah. yeah. The first comment, according to the best understanding of the order in which these things happen, the first comment was Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. So they drive the nails. They drop the cross. Jesus is now suffering the anguish of crucifixion. And the first thing out of his mouth is, Father, forgive them, hmm. which is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then, uh-huh. son, behold your mother. Hmm. And from that day on, John takes Jesus' mother and cares for her. And then... 
to this rebel revolutionary, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he was so other-focused all the time. And even on the cross, he's still other-focused. And it's remarkable the degree of compassion that he shows when you see it in the context of the suffering that he's experiencing. I see it so integrated. I mean, he does say, I thirst. He does say, I commit my spirit. He does say, why have you forsaken Mm me? But it's like those three compassionate utterances are the reason why he thirsts, are the reason why he endures, why have you forsaken me, are the reason why he does commit his spirit into God's hands. And what you're saying is that he starts out Mm -hmm. expressing compassion, even to the point of saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He ends up saying, Mm -hmm. my God, my God, why have you Mm -hmm. forsaken me? Mm -hmm. And that's another great contrast Mm -hmm. point. He begins by saying, Father, forgive them in a very general way. And then, in a sense, he says in a very specific way to, to this one person. thief, this mm-hmm. one heart, this one life. And I want you to notice earlier in the week, when we were focusing on the words of this man, what did he say again in verse 42? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. We mentioned the fact, here's a man dying on a cross, speaking to another man dying on a cross, and mm-hmm. thinking that there still could be a win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jesus now gives a time frame to that win. Today. And what's the time frame? Mm, today. Today. Mm. Today, that's when it's going to happen. And you will be with me in paradise. For this revolutionary who longed for a different kingdom and a better kingdom, for this man who was trying to overthrow one king and try to find a better one, in Jesus, he's found more than a kingdom. Jesus says, you found paradise. Hmm. There's so much irony in it mm-hmm. when you think about it. It's that just... Is. The last thing in the world that (laughs) these people would have thought was happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think paradise is? Oh, boy. You know, we go to streets of gold and pearly gates and Mm -hmm. Or Genesis or the garden. Or Abraham's bosom, you know, in that story of Lazarus and the rich man. That's a little hard to relate to. Yes, (laughs) it is. It is. But can I just say, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to net out what paradise is. Can I just say that's not the point? Why not? Because I think the point is today you will be with me. That's what's going to make it paradise, whatever it is. But he's already with Jesus. He's already with Jesus. <laughs> and now he's going to be with Jesus in a place where it's better. You know, it's making me think about your point that dying men don't usually have wins. You know, Jesus offers him a when beyond this moment. And he also offers him a where beyond mm. this moment. But he also offers him a who beyond yeah, this moment. Really so yeah. maybe that's your point too, is that we don't understand paradise. I mean, we can get a yeah. tiny feel of it, but we know it will happen. That's mm-hmm. the when, and we know it will happen somewhere mm-hmm. and that's the where, but we do know mm-hmm. it will be with a who, and that is Jesus. Just a few hours before with his disciples in the upper room, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Mm-hmm. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And here it is. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again Mm -hmm. and to receive you to myself, that where I am, Mm -hmm. you can be also. Mm -hmm. The same promise he gave to his closest followers, he gives to this guy. Mm -hmm. That reminds us Mm -hmm. that the ground's always level at the foot of the cross. We all come to it broken and needy and desperate and without hope. And we all find through the Christ of the cross, paradise in his presence.
What a great way to conclude a great hour of discussions here on Discover the Word. Bill Crowder leading the conversation this time alongside Mark DeHaan and Elisa Morgan, and you, of course, in the series titled The Rebel Next to Jesus. Now, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Now, next time here on the podcast, Daniel Ryan Day will be back with the group at the table, and uh, we're going to be following up our conversations for Easter with a study that Daniel will lead. Question for you. Why did Jesus come into the world? Would it surprise you to find out that he actually tells us quite a few times, I came <laughs> to da-da-da-da-da? To da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Okay. I said da-da-da-da-da. That like might the, surprise the radio me. version of fill in the blank. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, literally several times throughout the Gospels, Jesus says the phrase, I have come to... So this week, I thought it'd be kind of fun. Let's look at some of those places and the stories where Jesus says those words, I've come to whatever, and see what we can learn about why Jesus came. Yeah, I look forward to having you in the group as we explore some answers to that question, why did Jesus come? Hope you'll be here for the next Discover the Word podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.